Blog Talk Radio. October Blitz, Finding Mr. Right Month, and I've been playing those wedding bells every night (laughs) for all of you. Uh, Those are those wonderful, those are real bells from the San Juan Capistrano Mission, and they ring them um, for celebrations, and one celebration is if they've had a wedding that day, and I happen to be down there that day because when they ring them they ring you hear them all over town it's wonderful so tonight i uh, wanted to talk to you about uh if your mr right has been to war because if you're dating a man who's a combat war veteran or if you meet a guy and he he tells you that he's a combat war veteran you need to know some things about this man Because this is not the normal guy who lives next door and wakes up and brushes his teeth and gets a cup of coffee and goes off to work. (laughs) This possibility of Mr. Wright for you, um, who is a man who has been to war, is a different type of person. I did date a combat war veteran, um, and he told me his story. He grew up in a small town in the Midwest. Uh, He was three years old when World War II ended, and he went to a conventional high school and graduated and then was immediately drafted to go to war, and that war was the Vietnam War. He was sent to combat war training, shipped around to Uh, different U.S. learning uh, centers here in the United States, uh, learning combat war strategies, and then he was sent to Vietnam. He was 19 years old. Now, the Vietnam War was the first war the United States was involved in after the Department of War was changed to the Department of Defense. The War Department existed from 1789 until September 18, 1947. It was at that time that it was changed into the Department of Defense. Um, In 1949, it was actually finally established as the United States Department of Defense. And at the heart of the conflict of the Vietnam War, um, the North Vietnamese had defeated the French colonial administration in 1954, and they wanted to unify the entire country under a single communist regime, which was modeled after those operating in the Soviet Union and China. And the South Vietnamese government didn't want this. They wanted to stay in alignment with the U.S., So our U.S. military advisors began a little by little to be involved in small numbers there throughout the 50s, but 
Then by 1969, the U.S. had more than 500,000 U.S. military active combat units stationed in Vietnam. In 1995, Vietnam finally released all of its official estimates of the war dead, as many as 2 million civilians on both sides, and some 1.1 million North Vietnamese and Viet Cong fighters died. 58,200 members of our U.S. Armed Forces either died or were listed as missing in action as a result of that war. And, of course, today North Vietnam is still communist and South Vietnam is aligned with the West, but 3,158,200 people died to keep South Vietnam free of communist control. Now, when the combat war veteran that I knew went got to Vietnam, he said, he said he saw atrocities that he just couldn't comprehend. He said their unit would storm into a small village and kill everybody in it, all the, everybody, all, including the women and the children. And he would say, why are we doing this? Their screams of agony as his machine gun riddled their bodies was deeply embedded in his mind. And the lieutenant in charge of his unit would just say, there might be Viet Cong hiding in this village. We have to kill everyone. And if there was a village where the Viet Cong were hiding, masking as villagers, then there would be real war. Now, this is not a computer game on your phone. These are real Viet Cong popping out of wells, running out from behind trees, blasting their machine guns and tossing hand grenades. He said you never knew when something was going to blast off right in front of you or someone would come up from behind you and hit you to the ground and put a rifle in your face. And he saw so many of his fellow warriors massacred, beheaded right before his eyes. And every time he survived the fray, he would say, why me? Why am I still alive? And then the lieutenant would say, go pick up all those body parts. Bring them back to camp. Arms and legs and fingers and toes. And he said, well, how am I going to know which body these go to? But those body bags were just opened up, and however much of the body was left would be put in it with just various parts of the body, fingers and toes or arms and legs just thrown in without anyone ever knowing if it belonged to that body or not. Moms and dads would get those body bags sent back to them so they could have a memorial service and try to have some kind of closure about losing their son to some ununderstandable defense position that the new U.S. Department of Defense was advocating. And they never knew that those body parts might not have been their son. These combat war veterans were innocent young men, 19, 20 years old. They had played football in high school, kissed a girl for the first time in the back seat of their dad's car at the drive-in movie. The man I dated was looking forward to going to college, and he wanted to go to law school and be a lawyer. But that letter from the president ordering him to active duty to defend his country changed all of that. He had a girlfriend during high school, 
And before he left for Vietnam, they had a very emotional goodbye. She had been his first love. And he left for Vietnam with the hope in his heart of them being able to be together when he got back home. You know, I've married lots of couples before the man goes to war. Because it seems that a man can face the ravages of warfare easier if he knows that someone at home still loves him. And if he's married and he gets killed, that wife will get his military benefits. So couples do get married before they go to war. And apparently in the mind of this man, he held on to that hope in his heart that his girlfriend was home, keeping those home fires burning. But they were just kids in high school. She was only 16. They weren't engaged. And I'm sure her parents were responsible for her writing the Dear John letter to this young soldier laying down his life on the battlefield in Vietnam fighting to a line in the sand and then stepping back. And he was devastated. And today, 40 years later, he's still devastated by this abandonment. And he doesn't trust love. He doesn't trust women. He's distant and unconnected. And since then, he's had a lot of off-and-on-again relationships, one with one woman who kept coming back after she left because she couldn't make it on her own but she told him it'd be okay if he got his sex somewhere else. She wouldn't mind. I only had three dates with him because he was just too damaged for me, and when he told me that his income was from 100% military disability, well, I knew that this damaged man was pretty much set in concrete and in stain 100% disabled, and he would not be open to exploring any alternative or spiritual healing techniques and in addition to his post-traumatic stress syndrome he had also been a young adult in the 60s and they were known in uh, as the 60s were known you know both in scholarship and popular culture it's the term that's used by historians and journalists and other objective academics (laughs) to kind of nostalgically describe the counterculture and revolution and so social norms at that time you know and their clothing the way they dress their music their use of drugs sexuality uh, conservatives denounced the decade as one of the irresponsible excess flamboyance and disturbing decay of proper social order i wonder what they would say today about our culture <laughs> The decade was also labeled as the swinging 60s because of the relaxation of social taboos, uh, especially relating to racism and sex. I think the change in our nation's national position at that time concerning war, from win the war to just being a defensive action with unclear boundaries, I think that fueled that backlash within the hearts of the people not only in the United States, but in the world. And it it began a tsunami that took us then to Korea and then to Iraq and Afghanistan, and which has now killed an an additional 2.3 million people. And now we are where we are today, peace with airstrikes. I could tell early on that this damaged combat war veteran had apparently found some sort of comfort 
in being part of all these other revolutions and countercultures. It seemed to be a way for him to relieve stress, to be in groups that were flagrantly anti-everything. And it seemed to help him reintegrate himself back into civilian life. You know, and still today he dresses in a very flamboyant style, always sports a hat. <clears throat> and I have to say, um, he is cute wearing them because he is very good looking. He has a great body and great physical shape, even though he considers himself 100% disabled. I told him this. I said, you are strong as an ox. You are smart as a fox, but you are emotionally disconnected, and you are spiritually dead. But in his true combative manner, he said, don't you judge me. Well, as, September tw- as of September 24th in 2014, we, have, we had over 22 million combat war veterans in this country. Uh, 9% of these are female, so that, that means there are over 20 million men out there who are combat war veterans. And when you consider someone who you think might be Mr. Wright and you find out he's one of these over 20 million men out there, who are combat war veterans, you need to know some things. First of all, a man who has been trained in combat thinks defensively. He's taught to be on guard, ready for action. I believe that combat war training accentuates the levels of instinct and intuition that a man brings from the animal realm into the human realm. If you've ever watched a a pack of coyotes hunt, you get the idea. I mean, three coyotes stalked me while I was walking my dog several years ago down by the creek that runs to my property, and two of them held me at bay while the third one went after my dog. And I have to say, I was absolutely terrified. And as soon as he grabbed the dog and instantly broke its neck, the three of them dashed away to their undisclosed den in the woods. It was like the two of them were holding me terrified while listening for that crack, and then they instantly turned for the woods, joined instantly by the one that had my dog, like they were all in one mind. That teamwork and their keen instincts and intuition made a formidable killing machine that was successful. And they had a hearty meal that night. Combat war training activates these animal instincts and puts them to use as a highly tuned killing machine. Only this time, they're killing women and children. And no one gets a hearty meal out of it. The body parts are just gathered up and thrown into a refrigerator in a big black bag. So, a combat war veteran is always on guard. He's instinctively looking and listening for any type of attack or unknown assailant. They are very easily startled or frightened, never come up from behind them. He might whirl around suddenly with great force and attack. And don't flash something around or bring something from out beyond their peripheral vision. They might swat at it and slap you. And if there's a sudden sound, they jump, and they'll throw their hands up in front of their face. I mean, something as normal as the refrigerator turning on or off. 
or so someone blowing their horn. <clears throat> this can trigger very, very aggressive behavior, like rolling down the window and shouting at the guy, What's your problem, asshole? I noticed that the combat war veteran I dated was never at fault about anything either. He had no conception about taking responsibility for any of his actions. He's just a total victim every time. He didn't do anything wrong. He always sees the other person as the perpetrator, the instigator, and the tormentor. He is the innocent victim. From getting the Dear John letter to getting tricked into getting married to listing all the things he's done for women who don't appreciate him and never say thank you, he says, that's why I always celebrate my birthday alone. That way I'm not disappointed. So the catch-all disability for combat war veterans is post-traumatic stress syndrome. Other symptoms include irritability with an inability to have a normal discussion because it can, uh, discussions can be perceived as judgmental and hostile to them. They cannot take any kind of what we used to call constructive criticism because they must always be right and they must always make all the plans and you're just supposed to go along and be happy. (laughs) And they usually manifest aggressive behavior because they have to have the control, they have to be in charge. Part of their need to be in control while they are awake is that most of these men have recurrent distressing memories, flashbacks, and nightmares. They will be back in that time of the war with all the sounds and sights like they were real and going on right then. And they'll wake up in total body sweat, sometimes screaming and shaking all over. And even in the daytime, just crossing the street with a car waiting for the light starts to rev their engine can bring panic to a combat war veteran who instinctively wants to try and find some place to hide. Many can't work at a regular job that has any kind of noise or regular racket going on in the environment because they're very jumpy and easily startled. A common symptom of post-traumatic stress syndrome is emotional numbness in whatever way the veteran accomplishes it. Many turn to drugs or alcohol to try to deaden the memories try to cope with the emotional and physical distress. The combat war veteran I knew walks six miles a day as a way, he says, to bring myself down, to keep me grounded and centered. And these men do have difficulty maintaining close relationships. They just can't seem to experience positive emotions anymore. Their experiences are just too deeply embedded in their emotional psyche. And perhaps the most damaging symptom of all is their negative feelings they have about themselves. Most of these men have overwhelming guilt and shame because they have killed innocent people. 1.1 million of the people killed in Vietnam War were civilians, women and children and old people. And whether you've had a Christian background or not, this country was established by Christian people who fled the state religious practices in England, and they came here to have religious freedom, but that didn't mean that they threw out their religion. 
the men who established this country were men of God who knew what the Bible says. And the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. I will try to not digress here and go into a rampage about the current video games our kids are playing, where they're killing people all the time and being rewarded for it. I still hold on to my hope that you could still go up to a young child and ask them if it's okay to kill people, and they would say no. Because I believe we are an eternal soul, and when it, within the life stream of an eternal soul, there is the truth that life is sacred and life is precious, and it's wrong to kill. So deep within the recesses of these combat war veterans is that knowing within their soul that they violated a sacred trust and they stole that precious life from another eternal soul. And they feel ashamed and they feel guilty and they feel overwhelming sorrow in their heart. And many of them set up self-destructive behaviors that serve to punish them. They punish themselves like the priests of old who would flagellate themselves until they bleed. There are also other ways that war affects people. I mean, recently I played bingo at a local high school who uses bingo to raise money for their music program so they can buy the instruments and the uniforms for their band. And also the band, you know, can take trips to do competitions, and the kids have a wonderful experience. Uh, my grandson played saxophone in the band at his high school, and he had a wonderful time. So I believe in supporting this into my in my local community. Well, there was a man sitting next to me recently, and during the break, we were chatting. And we were talking about being parents and how wonderful it was that the parents of the kids in the band volunteer and do all the work of setting up and tearing down for bingo and running it. And as he watched one of the fathers set up the chairs, he said, my dad was killed in the war. I said, how old are you? Were you? He said, six years old. Well, I made some quick calculations, and I realized he was close to my age. And Because when, when we older folks talk about the war, and when we mean the great war, you know, the war to end all wars, World War II. So this man at his age was still hurt by losing his dad in the war. When he said that, my dad was killed in the war, I could feel the heartbreak. I could feel the abandonment. I could feel how he felt, how unfair it was, how unnecessary it was, and how there was just no way to make up for the loss. And I noticed that when he left, he walked with slumped over shoulders, manifesting that heaviness in his heart. This man, this man also would not be a good candidate to be Mr. Wright. So I wanted to do this show tonight because I think that we women kind of have a belief system that if we find a man who is damaged or he needs to have a mother kind of like, that we think we can fix them. But let me say, I say in my wedding ceremony, do you love this man willingly and completely, withholding nothing, and do you accept him just the way he is? 
because this question in my ceremony was designed specifically to ferret out any hidden agendas a woman might have, (laughs) as well as reveal any area where an annulment could be established. So if you're going to be involved with a combat war veteran, you have to go into that relationship knowing that this is a man who has very special needs. He is a damaged person. And there are over 20 million of these men out there. And you will need to be a strong, independent, self-sufficient woman who doesn't have any needs of her own to have your Mr. Wright be a combat war veteran. Okay, I'm going to play those wedding bells for you. 